There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show. I'm your host, Tim McKernan, alongside executive producer, the Seamaster, John Seymour. It's time for another edition from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios of questions from the audience, uh, critically acclaimed, uh, and also one of the download leaders on the show here in the early going, uh, and, and Plowboy and Iggy, I think it's because of the magic that you bring and the audience wanting to hear your perspective, and your life experiences. I guess you could go that route. I'm thinking about the intellect of our download base, but it, it's still, they're, they're fun segments, right, Iggy? No, I think you have to give the uh, listeners credit because they're actually coming up with good questions. They are. And I noticed that maybe I need to do this is just put it on Facebook because I got immediate responses, whereas email, I got some, but I think the convenience of just going, oh, it's on my mind, I'll just type it right here got a bunch of quality questions. And so we have some really good questions this week uh, for questions from the audience. And I'm anxious to hear your answers. And I think it'll probably lead to some story time as well. Uh, if you uh, are not subscribed to uh, the Tim McKernan show or the cat chat podcast, I would recommend that you do both on the inside STL podcast network. Uh, Jimmy, the cat Hayes does the cat chat and it uh, is available every Wednesday, and so far he has had Adam Wainwright, Matt Holliday, uh, Dan McLaughlin, Matt Adams, Lance Lynn. Uh, he has had some great guests, and uh, if you're a Cardinal fan, uh, the Cat Chat, he gets those guys uh, talking like they normally don't because he has such a great relationship with them. And then here on this program, every Monday uh, we have a new interview, and I'm sure a lot of you are coming to the show now for the first time and or just have only listened to a couple of them and may not realize you can go back and listen to a lot of interviews that are described as evergreen, such as the Gary Pinkle interview. You listen to that in two years and it still has the same value because he's talking about things from the recent past. Uh, so Gary Pinkle, Jack Danforth, uh, in addition to uh, Dave Glover, um, who else have we had? Chris Kerber was super popular. Clay Travis was super popular. Isaac John, Bruce is a good John, one. Yeah, Isaac Bruce, Plowhawk, you're exactly right. Uh, Lux from uh, 105.7 The Point will be up uh, on Monday, December 10th. So I don't know if I'm speaking to you in the future or the past at this point. Uh, Alderwoman Megan Green, CNN host Ed Martin. Uh, we've had it all, and we'll continue to have guests for you every Monday. The Cat Chats on Thursday, or excuse me, the Cat Chats on Wednesday. Questions from the audience now will be on Thursday. And then producer Joe and I pick games at about a 10% success rate on Friday. That's for, all you can ask for. <laughs> I mean, how, it's just awful. And I truly am trying. That's the thing. I, I'm lucky I'm not, like, losing my ass because I'm so bad. Uh, so there's your schedule uh, at this point for the Inside STL Podcast Network. And uh, we will continue to attempt to bring you the high caliber of uh, guests and questions from the audience 
that uh, you have come to expect here over the couple of months since we started this whole thing up. And also, I always say the same thing. I say it on the radio. I say it on the podcast. Support the sponsors. And I mentioned the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, buying a home is the American dream. No one deserves to achieve that dream more than the men and women who have served our country, our American veterans and military personnel have earned that right by protecting it for the rest of us. Hero.loan is the new VA loan program that makes it simpler and more affordable for veterans and military families to get the home loans they deserve. The Hero Loan isn't just another VA loan program. The HomeLoanExpert.com team spent a year and a half developing the Hero Loan program with three goals in mind. Streamline the home loan process, taking the hassle out of qualifying for and getting a VA mortgage, deliver the best mortgage product of its kind to the customers, along with an even more personalized loan experience, Make financing or refinancing a home more affordable for those who've already given so much, our veterans, military personnel, and their families. The HomeLoanExpert.com is excited to announce their newest loan program, Hero.Loan, the new way to VA. The HomeLoanExpert.com has brought the new way to VA with the Hero.Loan. The Hero.Loan can close in as little as 14 days. There are no out-of-pocket costs, including no appraisal costs. They meet with our heroes of this great country face-to-face and take care of all of the eligibility paperwork. You have to call Ryan Kelly at 314-781-9700. Ask him about the new Hero.Loan or visit HeroLoan.com, the home loan expert, LLC. Uh, we, we are in, in approaching Christmas, and uh, one of the questions to set the stage for today, and this can be a quick hitter right out of the gate. We go quick hitter out of the gate. It's like Frank Frank says on the press box, no hedging. <laughs> Plowboy, favorite Christmas movie, go. Christmas Vacation, actually just watched it 12 hours ago. I don't think it's So did question. I. Was, were you watching it on that, that random network? The Freeform? And yeah, stuff? what the yes. hell was that? They had some of the worst but I'm advertising. Blessed. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. I've never even seen it. I, uh, I recorded it on DVR. I hate commercials. It's become a huge thing of mine. So Christmas Vacation, I don't think it's close for me, at least. Thank you. Oh, without a doubt, Bad Santa. Bad Santa with the great Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> yes, just maybe the greatest scene ever um, when he's asked, uh, it's my understanding you were fornicating with a large woman in the dressing room. Mm. Billy Bob Thornton. Look, buddy, I've fucked a lot of fat women in my life, but I've never fornicated with anybody. <laughs> greatest And that, for you, puts you in the holiday spirit. <laughs> just to see Billy Bob Thornton. And he, Danny Santa Claus, the... Kind of chubby kid sits on his lap. Look out, kid! You're squishing the nuts. I mean, that to me is that's cinematography. If you see yeah. a Santa like that in the mall, you're going to him. Mine also plowhawk is Christmas Vacation. It would have been ideal if you said something differently. Uh, you might be shocked to hear this was not rehearsed. So I'm just going to be honest. And I also happened to be watching it with Anna Marie and Jameson last night on the Freeform Network. Even though I think we have it on DVR, because it was on, we then felt obligated to watch it. And I'd like to study the psychology of that. Uh, but we did watch it, and I, I, I believe that uh, the Mount Rushmore of uh, scenes in Hollywood history would, of course, be the baptism scene in The Godfather and the Numine Patris. Uh, I would also uh, say the uh, scene with Dustin Hoffman and the cross locking the people in at the end of The Graduate uh, I would put up there, and... I don't know. I'm sure some people would say the Fredo saying the Hail Mary at the end of Godfather 2. You know, you can you can pick, pick pick your spots. But for me, Cousin Eddie in the living room with Clark Griswold after he had just arrived, talking about his children working in the carnival, barking for the yak woman, <laughs> having some eggnog, 
talking about his dog dry humping his leg. And that exchange between Chevy Chase and Randy Quaid, for my money, and I say this to Anna Marie every time the scene's on, I say, it's the best scene in film history. And then she looks at me after it's over, she goes, you think that's the best scene in film history? I said, I do. That's where I am on it. So Christmas vacation. And plus, the woman in the red swimsuit who also works in the department store, Very when attractive. I first saw it in 1989, I had her like at Christy Turlington levels. And now I see her now, and I kind of feel like I could see her at like your neighborhood, you know, hand job house. Well, that, but, but I still, but I still appreciate beautiful. her just because it put me in such a great place. Like in like the first time I saw the movie 25 years ago, or whatever. My favorite uh, scene, obviously they were outside getting the lights. He finally got the lights put together and he sees cousin Eddie for the first time. And Eddie goes, you surprised? You could sew my head to the carpet. I wouldn't be more surprised than this. Love that movie. Love it. All right. Uh, this one is more regarding this. 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 Uh, most of these questions from the audience will fall under the, the category of the term I used ever, evergreen, which is you can listen to it uh, whenever. And, uh, you know, our favorite Christmas movie will still be there if you're listening to this in July of 2018. But this one could be by the time, hell, by the time this thing uh, airs uh Tomorrow, I suppose, which would be Thursday, uh, December 7th, um, it could change. But I, I do think it's a, it's a good question because I value judgment in the moment, i.e., if you were to bitch about a trade now and say, well, I was against it then, and then you kind of go back and you play radio or you look at a column and you go, well, no, you weren't. I value judgment in the moment, i.e., you can see what's coming, and therefore, even if it's not popular, say, I disagree with this. And um, I think this might be Mr. Nipples who wrote this in. I don't know Mr. Nipples' Great real American. name. Uh, you, you know Mr. Nipples. I don't even you? know him by his real name, but he should change it to uh, Mr. I'll, Nipples. I'll show the—because the, I don't know if people want their names on here or not. That is Mr. Nipples? All right. I'm a big—you're a big Mr. Nipples guy, aren't you? Huge, huge All right. man. Uh, Mr. Nipples writes, you have talked in the past about Cardinal offseason targets and how you felt about the team pursuing them, for example, not totally being on board with signing Fowler, Hayward, Pujols, or signing them for the price being discussed, and you've done so in the moment while they were pursuing them, not after the fact. If you've said this on air, uh, then I missed it, but I'm curious on your opinion, uh, Iggy and Plowboy as well, on the Stanton thing, and if you were the general manager, what would you do? I actually don't know your guys' opinions on this mine is as is everything i suppose it's I, I fancy it as being nuanced it might just be super loquacious really uh but um what are your guys opinions on it before i start uh getting into mine so i guess it, it, if we were john Mosellock, i wouldn't trade for stanton i would have a two-year process which i know fans will hate but i think you trade for yelich because you get to save reyes and maybe alcantara in the deal and then the next year you go after uh, Machado. And so your lineup will look, you know, I don't know what the trades will be. Maybe Carpenter will be there this year, not next year. I'm not quite for sure how payroll will work out. But I'm not a fan of trading the farm. I think Reyes will be a stud. For Stanton, who is great, but I don't think we were a Stanton away from a deep playoff run. So I think I would go more of the two-year route because that free agent class of 2018 is so Luke, it's just so, I drew over it, and you would hate to miss out on that chance by training for a stand this year. So I, I would avoid training for Stan. Iggy, where are you, sir? Are, is money an option here, or are we just throwing stuff out? Because well, I, I like the way that the Pawboy approached it. If you're John Mozeliak, what are you doing? All right, if I'm John Mozeliak and Bill DeWitt came to me and said, you know what, I'm tired of this. We've been off the playoffs for two years now. 
Um, we're going to have some money coming off the books next year. So it's carte blanche. Go ahead. Don't go overboard that we're over to luxury tax, but go ahead and better this team and money's no object. I don't go after Stanton because it's kind of like, even though he's younger than Pujols, you got him for maybe three or four years. And if he doesn't, if he, you know, denies that option, you're stuck with him for 10 years and paying him that kind of money. What I would do if, if I was John Mozalek and I had the reins to this team, I would forget about Stanton. I would trade for Josh Donaldson, which probably isn't going to cost you as much as they want. Um, I would sign Eric Cosmer and I would trade for Colome. Okay. So let's just play that one out just for the sake of it. So then at that point, is Matt Carpenter going back to second base? Because second you would base. have Hosmer and Donaldson at the corner. Yes, and then you put Wong in that conversation as far as... He's, he would be one of the pieces One of the pieces, go, yes. And DeYoung's at, your, at short. At short. Um, and your now, outfield is now similar you to what your, your outfield is, was. So you're talking about a Bam, Fowler, Piscotty, slash Gritchick? Well, you need a bat, and you got the bat. Now, I don't care if it's in the outfield. You just want a bat in your lineup, whether it's Josh Donaldson or an outfielder. Um, people forgetting about what Jose Martinez did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just don't want to throw him away. So I wouldn't mind playing him in the outfield. And if you have to play uh, Fam Fowler and, and a Piscotti and a Jose Martinez out there, that's fine. If I got Josh Donaldson and I got Eric Hosmer at first base, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. I, I I like that. I actually like that. I have to tell you, I like that. And, you know, I've had a few, a few people have emailed me. This doesn't really happen all that often because people usually just do it via uh, Twitter, but this is how it used to work where people would email and try and get your thoughts on things. And I get so many damn emails. And I, I legitimately, as I always say, regarding feedback on the podcast, send me an email. And I, it, and I hope that I get every email because I truly, truly try to respond to every email unless it's somebody kind of being a dick. But if it's a legitimate criticism, I'll respond. But if it's a dick criticism, it's like, okay, whatever, you know. But my point is this this one asked, I hear you say that you're not on board necessarily with the Stanton move, but what would you be on board with? And I, I'm uncomfortable. I'm, I'm, I'll talk about it. But as far as, like, giving a real opinion, it's difficult because then I feel like it kind of turns into the old KMOX sports open line where you start making fantasy trades. But you played it out there. And I can see that actually being realistic. Mm-hmm. So I like that. So it's difficult for me to say, well, yeah, don't go after him and then go after so-and-so. Um, it's not so much a fantasy thing either. No, it's realistic. And That's yeah. realistic. <clears throat> so I like to try to analyze what is actually on the table. Of course, we don't know what the Cardinals would be giving, but we do know what the size of the contract is. And I just look at these deals and I and what I go back to, and it could change. It may have to change. But what I go back to is what the Cardinals have done since 2000. And I've been either doing television, radio, or both for every one of these seasons since. So therefore, and because my memory's odd, I can remember each one of these years. And really, with the exception of 2007, every year since 2000, they've been in the mix for a playoff spot, whether it be the Central or whether it be a wild card spot into September. And they even were mathematically in it in 2007. And that's a year where they lost Chris Carpenter on opening night. And it was just when you look at the roster, you're like, what in the world? My point being, I believe the reason why the Cardinals, unlike any other organization in baseball, have had this run of 18 seasons of at the very least competitive, but also four pennants and two world championships, uh, is because they have not taken on an albatross of a contract. And... From a business standpoint, I'm I'm in 100% agreement with that. For example, if you were talking about signing Bryce Harper, not that they would be, and if this were 2018's offseason, and you could sign Bryce Harper 
to a, what, whatever it would wind up costing. And God only knows what that's going to wind up being. I don't know, 10-year, $500 million. I don't know what it'll be kind of deal uh, when it's all said and done. I would not be on board with that. And my reason for that, so I can be clear, and this will always be here on the podcast, although I'm sure I've said things similarly in the past, but so I can be clear on it, my reason for it isn't because people go, they have the money, they can spend it. And I get that. And, I'm, and I have no investment in the Cardinals from a financial standpoint. It's this. It's, it's to an extent what you saw with Johnny Peralta this year. And that was Johnny Peralta. This is John Carlos Stanton. This is also what I imagine you will see with Dexter Fowler at some point over the next four years if he is not traded. They become pieces that you feel obligated to play or they're malcontents who are just taking up space. And there's nothing you can do. And you see that, like, for example, how quickly things turn for the San Francisco Giants. 2010, 2012, 2014, in the mix again uh, in 2016. And what happens? Now it's like, oh, my God, they have a bunch of contracts and they're kind of stuck. And so if John Carlos Stanton's going, yeah, I wouldn't mind living in San Francisco, but, hell, I don't know if they're going to be any better than the Marlins. And why is that? Well, first off, their farm system isn't as good as the Cardinals, but secondarily, they have a bunch of dead money. And dead money in any business is a big problem. And so when you look at Stanton and you actually look at it and you take away, like, the the, the cocaine-like chase of what that high would be at first if you hear he's coming and you see him on opening day in April and you actually look at the 10 years and not just the quick high— I don't believe that in 2029 we would look back on that and go, God, I'm so glad the Cardinals got him. Now, the bar for what you determine after the fact as making the deal worth the transaction in 2017 is different for everybody. But will John Carlos Stanton lead to a world? Would a one world championship be enough for you? I don't know. I, I, and I don't know, but I mean, he has been with the Marlins. He has played eight seasons. He has only played two seasons where he played 150 or more games. I realize one was one that would have knocked out the, Cal Ripken by getting you know hit in the face. Nothing can be done about that. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of outfielders who put up numbers like that. He just hits home runs that are McGuire-esque in 98. And he may be the best player in the game, but I'm just not sure that it's a deal that I would make. That's, for me, that's my reasoning. And for me, I, I think MLB is trending that you're, you're, these contracts are going to be an albatross and you're going to have to eat two or three years. Uh, for me, I just think the better deal of a $300 million contract is with a Manny Machado. He could play short. He can also play third. He could be more durable down the road. I just wouldn't play, pay that much money just for a specifically a corner outfielder. For me, I like Manny Machado's fit at third. If he gets old, you can t- put him at short. I still think he's going to hit for power. He'll be younger when well, he usually gets goes paid. the other way that a player gets older and they move him from short to third. third. Either either way, and and I, I he'll be younger once he gets paid than Stanton is right now. I think Stanton's almost twenty eight or just turned twenty eight. So for me, if I'm paying money and I don't mind three hundred million dollar contracts as much, I'm giving it to a, a more deserving guy of a Manny Machado. Today. In reference to what the uh, the wonderful Mister Nipples posted uh, <laughs> regarding the three in the moment that I was not on board with, i.e. it wasn't, you know, now we're looking back in the pool holes deal and everybody says that's a terrible deal. That was in the moment. That was that was not even in the moment. That was 2010. I wrote a column on InsideSTL.com. Uh, and at the time, it received a lot of backlash, but I think it received a lot of backlash. It, when it wasn't like, you can't sign him. It wasn't 
you know, Skip Bayless type crap. It was, mm-hmm. it was laying out the premise, and he wound up getting a much larger deal than I was even laying out in August of 2010. I'd be interested to go back, and for me, it'd be interesting, not for anybody else, to go back and read what I... I just remember it got a lot of backlash just because it was like dogma that the Cardinals had to sign Albert Pujols. And therefore, it was a really unpopular, and it was like one of the first for those who read inside SDL.com, so it wasn't like it was widespread, saying, I don't think the Cardinals should sign Albert Pujols, which was a huge topic at the time. Um, And really, going into 2011, if you remember, and again, I'm going back six and a half years or nearly seven years, but the deal with Pujols was, if it's not done by the start of spring training, we are not talking about it until after the season. That was the deal. And... I just thought, and I remember, I don't think it would be fair to name the person. Everybody would know the name if I named the name, uh, and it's not a player for the record, but texting me while that was going on, while like November and December of 2011, whenever he wound up signing, was texting me and going, are you serious? Are the Cardinals really talking about giving this much money to Albert Pujols? And uh, and I was like, yeah, it, it seems like this report is as accurate. It's like, oh my God, that would do, it would destroy the franchise. Now destroy the franchise might be overstating, but keep in mind, I mean, essentially he's now a, a hitter. That's it. Mm-hmm. And he, and he can still rake here and there, but for the money, oh my God. And where would he be playing with St. Louis? That's my point. You know, on That's the DL because they can't play the field. So, you know, that, that to me was super obvious. The Hayward one was one where I was just, I was confused I'm like, are, are people much smarter than me in baseball seeing something that I just don't see? I don't get it. That was the problem with analytics in baseball is a contract like that and a guy like for that, that. That's where it can get you in trouble. And I don't think the Cubs are going to get as killed as much for that deal he in the in. near term. Well, I think because they won the World Series. So at that point, it's kind of like everything is justified. Yeah. But my God, I'm sure if you got, you know, Theo Epstein on the phone and said, hey, <laughs> would you like to unload this contract? Uh, he would be all over it. And then Dexter Fowler, Dexter, I mean, I've been watching baseball for a long time, and I love Dexter Fowler's personality. I wish he would show it more in St. Louis. He's a brilliant guy. He got shit on by bigots last spring training uh, for his, for talking about his own personal experience, which only set the stage for a lot of people who are like, don't go to St. Louis. And then he, like, he hadn't even played a game yet, and he's already dealing with what had been labeled by some as the problem with a wing of St. Louis. Uh, and that was brutal. And you could see it. I guess, Plowboy, you saw it. Iggy, I know you weren't there at spring training when he sat down with us. And he, he was just, like, defeated. And he's like, my God. And if you read, it, it, it was, wasn't was a shot anybody. It was no, just it was uh, his, his opinion. Personal, personal experience with yeah. his family and his wife's family. But the point being, uh, that has nothing to do with that. If anything, I like that. But that's not how I do deals. And I'm just like, he's been a guy, or in the case of the Cubs, above average, but he was kind of got more propped up because he did it with the Cubs in the World Series. But he was just a guy, and on top of it, my intel, very confident in, uh, and I've said a number of times on the radio, is he wanted, well, the Cardinals wanted Adam Eaton. The Washington Nationals overpaid to the point that the White Sox were like, Great, this is gold. And the Cardinals saw the market. They knew they needed a center fielder. They needed. They felt like they needed a leadoff hitter. And they overpaid for somebody who I don't think, deep down, again, you want to talk about lie detector test, that uh, they thought that highly of to give that kind of deal to. And then he, I believe, wasn't dying to come and play in St. Louis. I think he would have rather maybe been in San Francisco or Toronto. 
and then the Cardinals have to give more to get him to p- come to St. Louis. And I'm just like, this. it might be great in 2017, but again, how do you analyze a deal? You analyze it in your moment of judgment before the cards are turned over, and then after the fact, will we look back in 2023 and go, man, I'm glad the Cardinals signed Dexter Fowler to that deal. And it's my opinion that the answer is, is no on that one as well. So then when people say, well, what would you do? And sometimes there's a better move to be made that we're not aware of. But just because I'm saying no to Albert Pujols, no to Jason Hayward, and no to Dexter Fowler, that doesn't mean what they have is great. They will make a move. I'd be shocked, 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 shocked if the Cardinals show up to Jupiter, Florida in the middle of February with essentially the same group of people on the 40-man rosters they have as we sit here and talk on December 6th. I would be shocked because I think in part, I don't think John Mazalak necessarily, but I do think other members of the organization could be playing for their jobs or coaching or managing for their jobs. Um, and so I don't think they're going to sit back at all. Uh, and also, the thing, and I've said it a few times now, the thing about Bill DeWitt getting labeled as cheap when they went out and signed, you might not like the signings, but they went out and spent a shitload of money on Dexter Fowler and Brett Cecil. It's just, you know, like I, I think I said it in other questions from the audience, it's just, it's, it's I, don't, I don't like to call it lazy, but it's wrong. I mean, it's factually inaccurate, and it's like a default position to take from a time gone by. So um, that's my reasoning. Now, with that said, if I see a tweet announcing that the Cardinals have traded for John Carlos Stanton, super pumped. I'll be super pumped. Yeah. So I want to make that that clear. If I would have seen a tweet that the Cardinals were uh, had locked in for Albert Pujols or Jason Hayward, I would absolutely have felt the opposite. <laughs> so the Stanton thing is not a lock to me. Because, again, it's like, yeah, I think he could be part. And I don't think it would be the only move either. I just think it could be part of what could lead to uh, a, a few great runs and reinvigorate a franchise that is, for as successful as it's been, feels kind of faceless right now. Like, there isn't a superstar and there isn't a whole lot of energy around it. And that's my opinion. Uh, and so that would excite me. I just worry that you're essentially tying the next decade of your franchise's fortunes to John Carlos Stan, and I wouldn't be comfortable doing that with damn near anybody. I mean, I, I like I said, Harper within a realm of reason, Trout within a realm of reason, Carlos Correa is a shortstop in his age, yeah. realm of reason. You can pick a few of those Francisco guys. Francisco Landora, I think, will be uh, well worth another one within, too. again, within a realm of yeah. reason, but... You know, I don't know. I just, I just, I just worry that, you know, it's like I, I, one of the analogies I use is interleague play in 1997. God, this is great. I go, okay, but this is the first year. What do you think of it in, in 2007 after you've seen the Minnesota Twins here five times? Are you so there's the bigger picture is how you have to analyze um, acquisitions and also subtractions. But you got to support the sponsors in, in order for the podcast to continue. That's the name of the game. James Carlton jumped on board from the outset. Uh, James Carlton, uh, State Farm Insurance agent of the James Carlton Agency. And and I bring this up because this, this is what it gets down to with insurance. You could go to, to, to damn near anybody, couldn't you? You got to get it. So it's not like I'm saying, hey, are you interested in hair transplants? This, this is something that you got to get. So why not give somebody who isn't just like a guy who loves the show. This is somebody who has built a business and has done so with incredible reviews and awards. So it's not like I'm recommending something where I'm kind of like, yeah, if you could, 
give this person a call just because they're on board advertising. You can look it up yourself and see the success James and his team have had. He's a local guy right there in Webster Groves, and he has prided himself on customer service. Does he quote-unquote need to have the size of staff he has? I don't know. I think many insurance agents do it for a lot less, but he does it so that the customer service is second to none, and it separates him from everybody else. And that's the point I want to drive home. Support the sponsors. Give it a run. 314-961-4800. Just see. Just see. 90% of homeowners in Missouri escrow their premium with their mortgage and have no idea what they're paying or what they're covered for. Call James today to protect your biggest asset. In fact, go to his website right now and check him out at carltoninsurance.net. And then you, you search him on Facebook and it's like people are Google reviews, they're just like, this is an incredible experience. And I personally, I just am like, I don't know how you can get that excited about getting insurance. It must be pretty good. And that speaks to why James and his staff have had the success and the awards that they have had. James Carlton, State Farm Insurance, 314-961-4800, or go online at carltoninsurance.net. Another one in here, um... Each of your biggest fears, either personal life or in your professional careers. And we don't go through these. I see these for the first time and kind of go, yeah, I think I'll ask them. So I, mine is easy, but I really don't know what yours uh, will be, gentlemen. Wow. We're going deep and we're going dark. Biggest fear? I don't know. As I get older, probably death. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm in good shape, but. You know, I just had a friend of mine who uh, worked out his entire life, still played basketball, pickup games, uh, who I went to high school with. He just passed away. Uh, he had a stroke about four months ago, and he went into cardiac arrest on Sunday and passed away. Wow. So, you know, I mean, I don't think I'm close, but you never know. So as you get older, I think I, you know, I kind of fear death because what happens after that? And, you know, I think Ar- somebody asked Arnold Palmer once when he was like 70, are you afraid of dying? I thought it was a stupid question. It was on the Golf Channel. And Wait, was this a press conference setting? No, or was it, was a just, it was just a one-on-one. And somebody, okay, one-on-one is like in a press conference. That'd be so random. No, but it was a one-on-one, and the, and, the, and the person doing the interview said, are you afraid of death? And he goes, I'm not afraid of death. He says, "I'm, I'm maybe I kind of think about what I'm going to die of. You know, is it going to, is it going to something that's going to, you know, I'm going to be in pain. He says, but I'm not afraid of dying but I'm afraid of how I'm going to die. So I don't know. As you get older, I think you kind of think of that. So I'm not really afraid of anything. I'm afraid of roller coasters. I don't like the ones that go upside down. All right. Oh, I'm addicted. I won't get on those. Um, Interesting. You you won't go on Batman at Six Flags? Whenever I go to to Orlando, visit my sister and nieces. They have good roller coasters in Orlando and in uh, Cincinnati for some reason. Oh, in Ohio, they're bombs. Sandusky, Ohio, to be exact. As long as they don't go upside down. What is it? Sandusky, Ohio. I think it's called. Oh my God, yeah, Seymour! I know you have the internet. I forgot here. it. It's it's an amazing. I don't mind the fast rides and the roller coasters. I just don't want, like the ones that like go upside down and kind of turn you upside down. The jet scream at Six Flags. Probably <laughs> you probably were not born when this was out. I don't think so. Uh, was like the biggest deal in the world because it, it just was like a 30-second roller coaster and it went upside down. See, I won't do that. And I remember. So you <laughs> so you've never done it or you? Oh, I done have, it but you, I won't anymore. I was. It's a shame that the videotape that day wasn't working because we were at Universal, or it might have been SeaWorld, I don't remember which, in Orlando. And I got on this ride that I didn't really want to go on, 
because I, I heard a lot of screaming and I just saw what this thing did. But I was like, my, my 10-year-old niece is getting on it. I can't mm. say no. So I get on, but my brother, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, God, do I want to go on this? And my brother was next, sitting next to me and he said, just shut up. And he pushed the bar down as hard as he could that fastens and it was like stuck in my gut. I'm like, I can't even breathe. And the thing's almost ready to go. And I'm like, I got to get off. I got to get off. Oh, no way. And the guy stops. He goes, lift four. <laughs> so I just stepped out of this. I was so embarrassed. And the first thing my my uh, sister did, she, she went to the booth. Do you have a video of that? Do you have a video? <laughs> and she goes, ah, the video's not working today. Damn it. <laughs> I'd have had to live that down forever. So, yeah, I guess as you get older, a little worried about death. And uh, I won't go on an upside down death roller coaster. Death and roller coasters. I'm so glad you brought up the roller coaster because I, it would have been hard to follow death with my fear of wasps. And I actually, now, is that white Anglo-Saxon Protestants? No, just the actual, Irish Catholic. the actual insect, the wasp. I actually totaled my second car uh, because of a wasp, and I have this just death fear of one. Have you been or, stung by one? I have. Oh, wow. So yeah. you have experience, and, and it was still, that, the, that's not good to hear. It was on the eye as on a On the eye? And it was, a, it was a death terror experience. And there was one in my car in high school. I was 17. And I get in my car after school driving. And there's a big line of people ready to get out of the parking lot to go, you know, get high or do whatever I was. Probably and work at the DQ. Be yeah, there's DQ, McDonald's attachment. There was a pretty big deal. And uh, so I see the wasp. I see he's making a nest. I get out of my car. You as see that he's making a nest? It, he's, ah! He has, there's two nestled up in the corner of a backseat of my car, ne- making a nest. I get out of the car, not thinking I didn't put it in park. And I rear end like three or four people as my car is just ah! idling. Totaled my vehicle because it was only $600 at the time. So wasps are definitely fear and drowning because I hate water so much that that would be, those are the two fears that I have that will haunt me at night. Wasp so, and drowning. Mine is easy and the answer would have been different four months ago, but it's something happening to my son. And, and, one, and, and so I knew mine would be different than you because I know you guys don't have kids. So, and it's one of those things that I'm sure any parent who is listening to this knows the answer to. And then if you're not a parent, because if I would have heard this this time last year, I've been like, I want a fucking dumb answer. You probably don't even really believe it. But now that I live it, uh, I mean, I, I, I'd just be done. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would do. I'd just be like, a, I'd be like a ghost floating I have the rest a dog of my life. and I feel that way. So I couldn't imagine having a son or daughter. Oh my God, I can't. Yeah. I was talking with. Uh, and just, I don't think he would mind if I said who his name was. It's not, this is not somebody who people would know if I did, but he was just talking about how much he loved his family. And he goes, and it was, and it was an odd comment at the end of how much he was talking about his family. Uh, and it, I guess it might even sound odd that we were talking about this because that's not the reason we were on the phone, but we just started getting into how is, how's Jameson. Uh, and he goes, and I love him all so much. I'm so proud of him. And I just hope I die before them all. And I go, God, what an, Odd thing, but it's like a hundred percent accurate. I think my all mom parents, has all parents said that. Feel, all yeah. parents feel that way. It's a hundred percent accurate. All yeah. parents feel that way. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like one of those things. Like, there's nothing. What do you hear? There's nothing worse than burying a child. I guess. Yeah. And I, I truly can't imagine. I can't imagine. And uh, it's one of those things. It's just like, and I haven't, and obviously, I hope I never experience it. Um, but it's it's in a similar way just because I've experienced being told that I had cancer, even though I got the most lucky result of that whole thing. Anytime I hear somebody has cancer or was just diagnosed with it, 
I know how horrifying that first, the first chapter of the book, so to speak, was, and I didn't even get into the, the rest of it. Uh, so in a sense, I feel guilty that I didn't, and they do oftentimes, most of the time. And I'm just like, oh, I just, it, now I have a totally different perspective on that. So if anything, these things now, now that you experience them versus kind of, that's not, of course, I didn't like dismiss cancer. It's just now I've experienced that first chapter. And now as a parent, now there's empathy for all of these different things. And then you go, okay, well, I didn't experience what it was like to grow up here. I didn't experience what it was like to be African-American. Or I didn't experience what it was like to be gay. Or I didn't, all of these things, it's kind of like, yeah, maybe I should just shut my fucking mouth and, you know, go, okay, well, if I'm putting myself in, the, in somebody else's shoes and try and just, you know, ideally be as cool as possible to people, even if I don't understand, you know, uh, because before I used to, Sarah Bruce at Gobble Iggy. Great person. Great, great person. people. Super talented broadcaster, mm-hmm. by the way, uh, came up to me because she wanted to see Jameson. We brought Jameson and she goes, it's so funny to see your Facebook now because you used to bitch about seeing kids pictures on Facebook. And now like yeah. every five days, your profile picture changes with a picture of Jameson. I go, yep. Fuck me, hypocrite. I'm one, of those, standard. Yeah. I'm one of those guys now. I'm a dad that, now. That's <laughs> but I was at, somebody was asking me the other day, how's Jay? And people ask, and it's great. I love talking about it. I don't want, I try not to just bring it up out of because I remember what it was like when people bring up that I'm like, yeah, I, you know, especially when you don't have kids. I know it's just not interesting at all. Um, but like legitimately, this time last year, two years ago, we were in Las Vegas and we were like, we'd be hanging out with porn stars. And it was great. How can you argue with that? And I, and I, and I'm not going, Oh, I wish I was, you know, I'm not saying, Oh, that was wrong. I loved it. I hope for Jameson's sake, he gets to experience that. It's a great thing. Maybe with me, maybe with the plowhawk. But, uh, but now when my son smiles at me, there's not a better feeling in the world and I wouldn't trade that for anything. And I know for those of you who the cat associates me with being one of the cools, which is just so inaccurate, but it's just part of the, uh, the show. Uh, you're so disappointed to hear me say that probably, especially if you're in your like twenties or thirties and don't have kids, but it's just the truth. Now that doesn't, I'm still hundred percent on board with Brazzers, super excited about Tegan Presley's return, excited about Tory Black's return, not as excited. Uh, and I'll be monitoring the AVNs and I'm, I'm as confused as you are as to Romy Rain not getting nominated. But with that said, I really enjoy when my son smiles at me and I will take that over what I used to think was the greatest thing in the world, which of course was hanging with adult film stars. So there's my Mount Rushmore of, of yeah, I still do both. I mean, it, it does make you happy when your niece tells you that, uh, uncle Iggy is their favorite uncle. Now she does like a Mount Rushmore of, uncles. well, it's basically because everybody else lives out of town and I get to see him. <laughs> so all it's the a time. default vote. default that you're the favorite. Cause you're the only one they see, but it's kind of cool when you go over and your nieces and nephews want to play with you and have fun. So, uh, th- this, this one, uh, I don't understand. So I'm going to have to yield to one of you two. Uh, the Barnhart Brawler asks, mm. do you believe there is such a thing as true altruism or are we all inherently selfish and only help others for our own gain? And if so, is that necessarily a bad thing? Or favorite line from Christmas Vacation. Thanks, Barnhart Brawler. Was that I already name? gave that, mine. That one coming close about, what, <laughs> 10 minutes ago? <laughs> yeah, I, was, I know. He didn't obviously know doesn't know we're talking about yeah. this. Yeah, this isn't live. Yeah, is that's it? right. Um, I don't understand it. I mean, I, <laughs> I do things that I don't talk about. I mean, obviously I talk about the Mega Meyer Foundation because the only way you're going to know about it is if I talk about it, but I don't. Yeah, I get that. I don't it talk is, about I, it. I kind of like the question now that I've gone, read it, uh, and, and been able to kind of think about it because I get it. I'm selfless. I, I donate 
$50 to Western Illinois University every month. You don't see me posted it on Facebook. I'm not, you know, supremely wealthy to where $50 is nothing. I support the broadcasting system at Western Illinois without preaching it on Facebook or Twitter. I do things selflessly, but I think everybody is, like you said, inherently selfish. I want to be able to make myself financially comfortable. Maybe and it's su almost subliminal or subtle. I don't know what the right word is. Subliminal? I think subliminal will be the right word. Uh fear of karma or attempted karmic justice. I just know for me personally, and I've said this before and it's odd, like Anna Marie will ask, like, how are you, like, cause I used to say, I don't even know what this is. I said, I didn't really drink. I certainly didn't, you know, I mean, I wasn't even, I mean, women wouldn't have wanted to be with me. Uh, not to say anybody does now anyway, but, uh, like up until like my junior year at Missouri, uh, just a totally different person. Like just, Fucking just blah. Not to say it's great now, but really fucking bad then. And and it was it was a combination of two things. Uh, and one because now he's kind of totally changed. And Iggy, probably you probably don't remember him. You'll know who he is, Iggy. You will remember him. You probably have interviewed him, I guess. One thing that was significant, and this is the one that I've talked about before, is, is seeing Howard Stern's movie Private Parts as far as my career goes. Ugh, Mount Rushmore movies. Yeah, I mean, for real. And I, it's just it, for real. And but, it, but I think it resonated with me. It didn't, like, oh, I want to do that. It just resonated with me, like the, the like blatant, like honest approach. And I hadn't done radio at that point, so what do I know? But then the second one was Dennis Miller. Remember Dennis Miller and he had a show oh. on HBO? A lot of people didn't know. Did he do Monday Night Football for he a year? He did, but see, that's for you at <laughs> that's 28. All I yeah. I think I ask your age every question yeah, from the audience. At 28, that's what you probably know him as because it, he was doing Monday Night Football yep. on the Rams, his first game. I was at his first game. It was the Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio, and the Rams played the Dolphins, and I was up there covering it. And I remember seeing him walk through the press box in Canton, Ohio, and that is not like Jerry World, as you can imagine. It's like a high school stadium, <laughs> and he was not wearing any shoes. And I'm just like, wow, this. And he just kind of, it was like I. Like I, like I, there's a blatant gimmick. And so people from 2001 with that on look at Dennis Miller totally differently than how I viewed him in the late 1990s. And it wasn't Bill Maher, because you'll think of Bill Maher now on the Friday show, and I know immediately, like, you're political, you're, you're going, oh, fuck Bill Maher, he's a, you know, libtard or whatever I find him funny. term is used. Uh, or Bill Maher is the best, you know, he's right on target, whatever. I don't know. It's not, that's not my point, but he was kind of that s political slash entertainment show at the time in the 1990s. Now he has gone, uh, I think he does conservative radio. And when O'Reilly had his show on Fox news, he would be a regular on there. Dennis Miller. Yeah. And he kind of did the O'Reilly thing where it's conservative. Clay does this too, Travis, where it's like it's obviously conservative, but you do it saying it's not conservative, and then somehow it ingratiates yourselves to hardcore conservatives saying, well, he's not conservative, but look, he has a conservative take. It's an easy strategy. I'm sure liberals do it too. Don't get me wrong. But though th I think of those automatically. But that's not who Dennis Miller was. To get to the point, he used to do these rants, and then he would go over to a couch and interview a guest. And the guest interviews were sometimes good. He wasn't, in my opinion, that great of an interviewer. But the rants were brilliant. They were full of obscure, I mean, just super obscure references. And half the people would laugh and didn't know what he was saying. Absolutely. Just because they were done so quickly. Yeah. And, like, the, the temp tempo was so perfect. And I actually bought his book. I ought to go back and read it because it was, like, a defining thing for me. And it was called The Rants. And I think it was just a bunch of his HBO rants. And at the time, they were hard copy books. Still are. But, you know, that's how you would get your books. And it was, like, 1999. 
And I just remember one, I think he was, I think, I don't know what he was talking about. I, I, I want to say it was the abortion debate, but this, that would, this doesn't seem like it would necessarily apply. But either way, I remember one of the lines was, why hate somebody based on their race, their religion, or their sexual orientation? Pause. When there's so many other reasons to hate them if you get a chance to know them. And then he said, I just live by the simple, I don't know what the right term would be, credo, term I love to use from vacation, of to each their own. And if I happen to be wrong, you know, treat others how you want to be treated and to each their own, which is what I simply try to live by and certainly don't, uh, you know, uh, reach at all times. But his whole point being like, if you're, if your neighbor is gay and you're totally against gay sex or gays or whatever, like who fucking care, like in the whole scheme of things, who fucking cares? Like, in the, and it's like, and when he's laid it out that way, and again, I'm paraphrasing, I'm counting on. Now, it's not like I was like, but I mean, it, it was probably 97, 98. And I'm sure it would shock people to hear. Now, I was 18 when I did it, or I guess 19. But I voted for Bob Dole, voted for George W. Bush. I'll go through them all. John Kerry, then Obama, Obama, and a reluctant Hillary Clinton vote. But it certainly couldn't have been the other choice. Uh, and uh, I just, just kind of like, yeah, I mean, that's just, it simplifies it. So it's like, yeah, who the whole scheme of things. Who fucking cares? Like for, but on the other side of it, whereas certainly, I mean, I'm, I'm a, you know, obviously not a real religious person, but at the same time, if my neighbor is super Christian, super Muslim, super Jewish, super atheist, whatever the case might be, if it doesn't affect me, you know, and you are so passionate about your religion, for example, and that was his whole point. I think it might have been against uh, evangelical trying to dictate law to fit their religion, uh, then if you're so so confident that this is not God's will, then God will take care of it in the end. You know, essentially a live and let live. And for real. So the combination of seeing Stern's movie <laughs> and Dennis Miller's rant changed my life, which is probably super sad, but it is true because it all happened around the same time. And then I changed which is also really fucking weird. And I acknowledge that it's really fucking weird. And don't get me wrong. I can be a motherfucker. I'm certainly, uh, I don't think I'd have anybody ever really call me nice, but I'd like to think that people know that if I say something, I'm going to do it. Uh, even if I'm not going to like go, so how's everything going with the family? Cause I don't care. And I'm not going to act like I do. So I feel like that to be dishonest. So I just don't fucking care. Now, if it comes up and somebody's dealing with a serious situation, I'm probably more likely to be the person to try and help, but I don't want any credit for it because then to me, then it's not honestly charity. But as you were making reference to Iggy with Gobble Bowl, like you have to promote it. But sometimes there's these obvious like humble brag type things. Yeah, there are. And that to me isn't really charity. But at the same time, going back to the altruism of it, if the ends justifies the means, i.e. the humble brag led to more donations, then isn't in the end it's good, even if the means is kind of rooted in look at me, I'm so good, even though I might be a shitty person. I'm the person in the front row at church, even though I'm a complete fucking prick, you know? Yeah, I've said that all along that it, you know, I'm not one that promotes everything I do. And there's a lot of other charities that I help out, but I do it because I believe in that charity and I believe that they need help. And if I can help, I will. Um, but there are people that do it for the wrong reason because they do it to promote themselves. Like, look at me, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm doing this. But at the same time, if they're helping raise money or helping, then you can't get mad at them. 
whether you're doing it for the right reason or not, if you're helping the charity, who cares? Yeah. You know, so it doesn't bother me that, you know, look at me, look at me. I do this. I do this. I do this. Hey, I did this last week. Hey, I did this last week. Yeah. You're being a dick about it. But as long as you help raise money for that charity, I have no problem with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the, Some what, people what just do it differently. about that is the lack of self-awareness. Like, are you not seeing how transparent this is? No, but, but But at the same time, maybe, but that's the other thing. I just talked about empathy and like, maybe that's just how they operate and it actually isn't vile. Like I see it and I go, well, it's so obviously vile. Look at me, but maybe it's not, you know? And then in the whole scheme of things, who the fuck am I to judge? And maybe people need acceptance and I've never been one that, that cared what you thought of me. I know what kind of a person I am and the people that are close to me know what kind of person I am. If you don't know me and you want to make a judgment on me, I really don't give a fuck what you that's think of me. That's why my personality. So I don't care I, to try and pump myself up like, Hey, you, you must like me because look at what I'm doing for charity or look what I did here. I don't really give a fuck if you like me or not. I try to be a nice person. If you know me, you think you, you'll you probably know that about me, that Iggy is a nice person. But if you don't know me, I don't really care what you think about me. That's how you got to live life, though. I, I just, my parents taught me at an early age, just focus on you, do you, and don't worry about people talking shit about you or don't try to get in any clicks that are making fun of people. Kind of do you, follow your yeah, own I'm path. A, I'm going to certainly try to parent that way <laughs> with regarding the it's click hard. thing that are the, the bullying thing. Yeah, like, that's the other thing, hard. man, regarding that. Because so much of it, I, again, I don't know if people realize, like, it's almost like, and I get, because in a way, it's like the blocking from the fan page thing. When people say, like, when people will email me and say, I don't know what I did, like, I think 99% of the time they truly don't realize what they did. But from experience of social media communication, it's like, okay, either that was just a totally dick thing or like, okay, you have all of the tells of somebody who that was a minor explosion, but I know if, if I allow it to stick around, it's going to lead into a nuclear explosion and there's just no point. You just have a, a, a personality trait that for a group of people that essentially self-regulates, you're talking about 6,100 people, uh, and there's just no need to have that kind of shit in there. And that that's my reasoning for it. So that's why I say I don't know if people necessarily recognize it where it's almost like commonplace. Like, for example, I did an interview, uh, and maybe it'll be out by this time you listen to it. Maybe it won't be, but it'll air on what it'll be, it'll be Monday, December 10th, I think, 2018, 17, excuse me, with Lux from The Point. And I dig her, by the way. And then, yeah. so, yeah. She's a cool chick. <laughs> no, she's a cool chick. That's well, what that, I mean that's by the thing. She, yeah. is, she is, like, super cool. I mean, she's super cool. Now, she's attractive. But I always, when I say these things, because I talk about, like, adult film stars in a certain way, like Tegan Presley, super excited about the comeback, find her to be super hot. But it's a different thing. Like, if I'm talking about somebody who I work with or I know, and so, like, for example, I don't know who's a great female broadcast journalist, whether it be sportscaster, bro, Katie Nolan, we talk about her. She's beautiful. But I always, I, I, when I try to talk about her and we're doing it in a professional sense, or even if it was just me and Katie Nolan or me and you off the air, I wouldn't go, God, she's so, you know, it's just not the way I personally operate. If others want to, God bless them. Like we were talking about the Dennis Miller thing. doesn't affect me, but the focus is her talent. She is super talented. I also realize plenty of people like her just because they find her to be attractive. But the reason why she has had success is because she is super talented. She clearly has to be intelligent to rattle off the stuff and that she does, and, and she's creative. And along those same lines with um, of a variety of female journalists, whether you want to pick like a 60 Minutes and Laura Logan, um, you know, but whatever. The, the point being is I think people are so predisposed to a certain style of behavior on social media that— 
for us, not feeling like we're, I certainly don't, I guess maybe some people listening to it might think it, I certainly don't. Like, I just don't think of myself in any capacity as a quote-unquote celebrity. Like, what kind of fucked up self-awareness would I lack to be walking around going, oh, I'm a celebrity because I do a ray, I fuck off for three hours. I just, I've never viewed myself ever. I remember being uh, in bed with a woman who was an anchor in Columbia and it, we were like 22 and she goes, God, can you imagine what this city would say if they knew we were in bed together? And I go, oh, my God. Like, I'm glad we already did everything because I couldn't get hard now. That was the worst <laughs> fucking thing I've ever heard. Yeah, take like, yourself who, off a pedestal. Like, there, who, would ca- who would care? Who would care? And if anything, they'd go, why are you in bed with him? That's what they would say. But regarding posting, like I saw, so I was going to post a picture of, and I did, of me and Lux to promote the interview, just like I did with me and Dave Glover, for example. But what I know is going to happen is a bunch of, you know, she's hot, or then it's going to focus on appearances, potentially shots at her. I don't know why, but I just know that what happens because it's mean-spirited. And I don't know why. I just know that more often than not, in particular on Twitter, because it's the anonymity, it's mean-spirited. And it's an odd thing to me. It's in people's nature. It's become natural. Yeah. And I don't know how that— It used to be like that. Right. And I don't know how that happened. I've heard Michael uh, Wilbon describe it as—and this is kind of an odd, almost—it's a super dated reference—is the Simon Cowellization of culture making reference to how an American Idol got popular and he got popular for ripping people. But I always always kind of felt like that was just, like, honest, but he also would give— I I never took it that. I, I liked what he did. And I don't think that's it. I think it's the anonymity. That's what I think it is. I mean, Simon Cowell was sitting there, you know, for everybody to hate if they wanted to. So regarding the altruism, what what people's nature is, I don't know. And then the quest, then the the deeper question is, even if it is attention. That wasn't deep enough. What's that? That wasn't deep enough. That <laughs> well, I'm saying, I'm, I'm all, so this is the thing. Plabo, can you imagine if I would get high with you and how fucking weird I would get? I think you'd have fun. <laughs> no, I, I, I've done it. Like I said, I had that one bad experience at the dorms in Columbia, 94. You'd be like, at the Taco Bell on Providence. And ever since, I've been, I've been like, I... I never went as hard as I did then. You'd be like Donald Sutherland sitting in the apartment (laughs) complex in in Animal House. (laughs) I mean, but like I said, so like even if the if the reason for for it is attention whoring, if it winds up raising a bunch of money or helping save somebody's life, then I would say proportionately the the attention whoring is outweighed by the good that the attention whoring led to. Without a doubt. But I guess the question was, is there such a thing as true altruism? Well, you can still feel good about doing it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel good when I see how much money you raised a gobble bowl. There's nothing wrong with that. Because well, yeah. I, I know and that's going to thing. the charity and I know what they're going to do with that money, how we're going to be able to pay counselors to talk to people. But I, about I, mean, I mean, no, I mean, again, obviously I know you and I know what's going on behind the scenes and I see stuff away from social media and the microphones and all that stuff. So I know that you true and I'm I'm almost like in awe. It made me want to learn more about it, uh, like how committed you are to something, you know, uh, and you and you work so hard on it. So I had great respect for it. Which leads me to the final question for uh, today's questions from the audience. And I want to ask you guys uh, because one stands out to me, but then I have a feeling when you give your answers, I might I might go, yeah, that's probably a quote better answer, so to speak. Even though I don't know if there's necessarily a right or wrong. Proudest moment being involved with the TMA community, whether it be toy drives, 
the support of Mike Lee getting him a new bike, super random, but that was like, we raised like $1,500, like in a half hour or something. And again, not we, the audience. Uh, so what stands out to you? Plowboy, you've been with the show for like four years? Almost on and five, off and we've done a lot of charity events, even the short time I've been in the show. Um, I would have to say it came with a lot of drama with the timber fake fight. But the amount of money that we raised for charity to actually hand them the checks, hey, right. see the faces, and to really look at the crowd and see the people interacting, the, and, the I, energy I thought that was fantastic. At that the was South whatever. Broadway Athletic Club Huge. was unreal. Yeah. I mean, it really was. And if I could have just stopped it with that night and then not dealt with the crap afterwards, That's the thing. I would hold it in, in a much higher— Because I remember leaving there and going, God, that was just a great event. And you're right, yeah. to be able to hand— all of those charities, and not just like, a, you know, I mean, any charitable gesture, whether it be a couple hundred or a couple million, the people who are doing it, their motives most of the time, at the very least, like we said, even if the ends is justifying means of being vile, it's it's done out of goodness. Uh, but to, it, it was a substantial amount of money. That was a great thing. And, and it, it does it, come with some baggage. I get that. Right. But yeah, if you but look I mean, past that, it's But the, the baggage didn't have anything to do with us. Uh, what, what about you, Iggy? Well, there's so many things we've done as a show, even when I wasn't part of the show. Um, but I would, it because it happened more recently, I could go back to some of our toy drives at our AFC, NFC parties and things like that. Uh, probably the remote we did at the school oh, and just yeah. had the cars driving Sparing. by wow. dropping off checks. That's why I went out, because I had a feeling you guys would think of something I hadn't thought that of. Sparings? Sparing, yeah. uh, Sparing middle, middle school. school. Yeah. Yeah, just oh, to, my God. Like I think we raised twenty five grand in mm -hmm. three hours. Yeah, and that wasn't even thought of. Uh, yeah, I would have. Yeah. I, th I think what I said was I would have set the over under at like five grand, which would have been great, by yeah. the way. But now put on two days prior to that. I don't yeah. think that was an event that yeah. was really just, publicized. Just to see what the listeners did in three hours was amazing to me. That's a that's a damn good answer. I think the one that stands out to me most uh, is we did a remote at Friendlies, and I guess it would have had to have been 2012 because I'm thinking of why I was so like emotionally susceptible because that was right after the, the the cancer misdiagnosis, which was November 2012. And I think that means that must have been when we did the you have been suspended T-shirts, which Plowboy, you weren't around. For. Right I don't before think you my were time, right before my time. And I remember showing up to Friendly's and this is the South City one on Rogers Place and seeing because as, as always, I show up at uh I mean, like yesterday, we were at Filoni's, and I showed up at 7.07. And I hate that I do it. I hate that I do it. Seamaster called me while I was in Santa, but I'm like, yeah, they kind of want you to start showing up at 7. I'm like, I'll do that. No problem, because I'm up. <laughs> and I live two minutes away, and I still fucking do it. And I have no idea what the deal with that is. I really don't. That needs to be psychoanalyzed as well. Uh, but anyway, so I show up my standard 7.05, whatever the hell time it was at Friendly's, and there was a line <laughs> out the door. A line out the door. Mm -hmm. And for the record, this question's about the TMA community, not about anything I've done or you two have done or Seamaster's done. It's about the TMA community because this this would be a total, like, hypocritical circle jerk to mock people being <laughs> self-indulgent about charity and then going, what, what's the greatest thing we have done? <laughs> Fuck you. I would, I would Seamaster, edit that out, and I'm going to go for a therapy session. Well, you're going to say that uh, they were lined up to see me yeah, when I walked in. I felt up so good about to myself. see me. With, um, I don't Tim, know what Tim you're talking about charity, <laughs> but let's talk about when people are lined up to see me. The point being, I walked in there, and it's like, if anything, I don't want anybody but you guys to know that I show up at the time I show up because I'm not proud of it. And I truly don't understand it. Uh, like I said, I, it needs to be psychoanalyzed. Because I'm sure maybe some of you guys might go, yeah, he just sleeps. 
but I really am. Oh, I guess Seamaster, and you guys know because I'm emailing and texting. I tell people we're doing show prep. Yeah. Well, we are. I'm just doing it from my couch. <laughs> I enjoy it because it's another cigarette for me before the show yeah. starts. And so I just I like to sit and have coffee and read and be and not have text messages. I think that's the root of it. But whatever. Neither here nor there. I walk in there, and there's a like I said, a line out the door. So at that point now, everybody who's there sees how late I show up, which is like another brilliant moment. But then within three hours, and they're there to get a combination of get the t-shirt that you've been suspended t-shirts with Doug on the front, but then also to give toys for friends of kids with cancer. And we laid out all the toys on all the pool tables. I don't know how many pool tables Denny had there, but it, w- it was a large number of pool tables because they were filled by the time we were off the air. And so then a couple of days later, we take like a limousine or two limousines from friendlies to the Friends of Kids with Cancer offices. And I had just, you know, within a month of that, been told I had, not even a month, probably two weeks, been told I had cancer. And then was lucky enough to be told a week later that I did not. And then to see these kids. Oh, my God. And there's one girl in particular who, God, I guess was probably, I don't know, I don't know how to do the thing where you can say, oh, she was six, seven years old, but whatever, six or seven years old would be my guess. And she was dressed as a princess. And I hope like hell she's still with us. No idea. And how much it meant to them to see that. Oh, and to think that without our stupid show, they don't have that moment. And it's not about really the show. It's about the listeners responding. And just like yesterday, you know, Melissa, who's our director of sales at the radio station says, we're doing a remote at Filoni's and I'm always like, you know, I'll do a remote, but to do a remote at a bar at 7 a.m., do a remote anywhere at 7 a.m. doesn't really have a whole lot of upside. And then sure enough, by like 830, the bar is packed and people are bringing in toys. And it's just like, God, it's just an amazing thing. And I say it and I say it over and over and it's not intended to be a shot. It's just to be a, 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 an acknowledgement really of how unique and special the situation is, is that in a city that is for as much as we shit on ourselves, in St. Louis, uh, it still is a top 25 market, and there are 3 million people who live here. And in my opinion, in all of radio in St. Louis, uh, there are only a handful of shows, and I always list Frank Opinion Show, Glover Show, and the Rizzuto Show, and maybe there's others, and I'm not intending to leave them out. I truly am not. I just don't know who can mobilize an audience like that. And we're so lucky because it's going to be over at some point, and then, they're, then like in five years, oh, you used to do that radio show. I really like that. What's Doug up to? And what are you doing now? Oh, really? That's a shame. I love that show. That's where that's where I'm going. I, I know it's coming, but in the meantime, you're in this moment. And you acknowledge that, like, and have this moment last for as long as it's lasted. And it's great to come in and be able to fuck off and laugh for three hours and make a living. I mean, my God, you, you do that for, for any uh, situation. But then to actually have it lead to, because the audience loves the show, a positive impact, whether it be on raising dollars or, in that case, bringing a bunch of toys to kids with cancer and seeing their reaction. You already knew it was great, but then you get to see their reaction and know that our audience did that. Not us. I mean, we did the show, but the audience had to bring all the toys. Oh, what a great, because that, that you could see it then. I'm yeah. sure if we would have seen Officer Snyder's wife receive that check or Backstoppers receive that check, but Backstoppers does so many things, then it would be, you know, but to be able to walk in, and like I said, I can still picture that, six or seven year old girl dressed as a princess, you know, her head is shaved and, you know, no eyebrows and God only knows what her morning was like with treatment, but she's smiling because we brought in 
bags of toys and to think that we were responsible for that. I remember Ryan Kelly was with him, just what that means. And that's why Ryan, with his charity uh, work that he does, it's so legitimate. That's true, in my opinion, philanthropy. Uh, so that's that. That's the one that stands out to me. But your answer on Officer Snyder and, and the sparing middle school. I like the a, Mike Lee bike. It, that goes unnoticed, and it happened so quick. I think yeah. that's why. I mean, it was like an hour. I mean, they had a bike ready for Mike oh, Lee. Oh, yeah, and it, it was, was unbelievable. Just, I, think we raised, I think we were trying to raise 1000 or yeah. 1500 and we went over like right away, and it's like, oh, what are we going to do with this 500 And we got a swing set for Molly, too. We did. That <laughs> was another great moment. All right, another wonderful edition of questions <laughs> from the audience. Hope you enjoyed it. You're always welcome to give feedback at Tima Kernan at InsideSTL.com. Uh, Iggy, uh, Plowhawk, thank you, boys. Uh, for the Sea Monster, I'm Tim McKernan. Thank you for listening to the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network, live on podcast from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.